Welcome to the Bedpost Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Pym, and I'm an erotica writer, performer, as well as the producer of the monthly stage show, Bedpost. Here at the Bedpost Podcast, I invite guests and performers from the stage show and beyond to indulge me in an in-depth conversation about sex and sexuality. And this week, we have a very, very special guest, the co-creator of Deliciously Disabled, Stella Palakarova. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> We're singing for some oh, reason. great. I love show tunes. Oh, my God. <laughs> me, too. Oh, my God. I'm a music theater kid through and through. Yeah, me, too. I was an improv and <gasps> musical theater for, like, most of my adolescent life. No way. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. I was even stage manager for a Nova Scotia production of Narnia. Shut up. Yeah. We're twinsies. Um, must be. (laughs) And this is actually going to be the the double duty, uh, deliciously disabled, the the quadruple D, because Mm -hmm. we spoke to Andrew Gerza last week. And now we've got Stella on the podcast. So we're going to talk more about... Deliciously disabled. So, Stella, do you want to just give us a rundown of what you do for the Double D? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, Andrew coined this term, deliciously disabled, uh, a few months before I met him. And I think, you know, he had something really interesting going with um, wanting to get... Uh, disability discussions about disability more into pop culture and then also having a great platform to discuss sex positivity and what that looks like for people with disabilities obviously from his perspective uh, as a queer man and uh, around the same time I was doing some similar work related to sex and disability with another organization that was a charity uh, based here in Toronto (laughs) but I found that it was somewhat limited in the kinds of things that we were able to do and I just have always been more interested in pushing the envelope and turning (laughs) ahead and really um, wanting to uh, create you know not just a little ripple but a a, a tsunami (laughs) a tidal wave yeah absolutely when it (laughs) came to these issues and so I had the opportunity to meet one of the event coordinators at Oasis Aqua Lounge yeah, yeah. In, a, in a meeting and um, I just kind of brought this idea to her of, hey, you know, Oasis is not wheelchair accessible. Yeah. Have you guys ever considered having a, a play party for that, that is accessible to people with disabilities? And so I started working on plans for that with her. I had seen a lot of what Andrew was trying to do online, mm-hmm. and I thought, you know what, two two heads or three heads think better <laughs> than one, yes. and why not bring somebody on board that can bring a whole new perspective to um, the needs of, of uh, you know, gay men or people within the queer community to the discussion, 
and so he and I started chatting about partnering and it was just a very natural connection we we share a lot of the same philosophies but we obviously bring vastly different perspectives to the whole yes. discussion <laughs> so we're like the yin and yin to the yang if you will yeah um and uh that's how deliciously disabled as it is was was sort of born and your first event was a play party our first event was a play party yeah. it took place uh last august yep um at buddies and bad times in toronto which is totally accessible it is totally accessible. Yeah. Um, one of the very few bars, uh, I would say, in Toronto that are um, fully wheelchair accessible. Yes. So we were very thankful and grateful to them for giving us their support and letting us host it there. Yeah. And um, So what just, is, can you just tell me quickly, because I didn't go into the details of this event and these types of events with Andrew. Yeah. What exactly is a play party for people who don't know? And what especially is a... Uh, completely accessible play party right well uh, i'll start out by saying that a play party is not an orgy yes and the reason i say this is because that is what the media kept saying that it was really and i kept telling them that it wasn't but they kept printing orgy orgy, orgy. oh my god uh, <laughs> i mean you know the way i look at it is it's fine because it, it got heads turning and people talking about these issues and I mean that a lot of the reason why we do these kinds of things is to get people talking about the issues right to begin with um but uh, obviously a play party is not you know some eyes wide shut uh (laughs) event where people kind of come together and have massive like sexual you know interaction with each other it's uh, the way that we tried to conceive of it was that it was going to be a social event first and foremostly where people could come and feel sexy and feel um accepted and feel that there was a safe um sex positive space where where they could truly be themselves and sort of come into themselves as sexual beings because it's hard in a city like toronto where a lot of social spaces are not physically accessible yes to to even meet people to to date or to hook up with or to you know have any sort of social interaction with yeah other than on the computer at home yeah where can you go really so and that's i mean the online dating is a whole other (laughs) animal right that's that's a whole other (laughs) which which we'll talk about i'm sure for sure so we definitely wanted to create this very like positive and fun environment a physical space a physical space you know we had it themed um, uh, this may have been poorly conceived now that I use that eyes wide shut metaphor, but it was a masquerade, actually. <laughs> uh, so it, I, I just thought, I came up with that idea, I just thought it'd be fun um, to let people come dressed in masks yes. if they wanted to and oh, give yeah. it a little bit of that anonymity because, again, I mean, people with disabilities have been so excluded from these realms of um social interaction that it it can be a little bit daunting sure i think for many people to come out to an event that is explicitly um sexual in some way and to to feel like that's okay and they're not going to be judged and they're not going to be stereotyped and all the the things that you know the tropes that we typically tend to fall into (laughs) 
Yes. Yeah, I have the same kind of thing with my show. I do a, a stage show of Bedpost monthly, and I find people are a little more reluctant to, you know, uh, share the event online that they're going to it, or yeah. or even, like, just like my posts, because they're of a sexual nature. They're um, sometimes explicit, and I think people are nervous to... Uh, you know, put their name on that. So the anonymity thing would be a big draw, I would think. Yeah, and I think that becomes especially daunting if you are, let's say, somebody with a physical disability that's reliant on caregivers yes, yeah. for your day-to-day needs. And I mean, what the impact that that may potentially have on your relationship with them. A lot of uh, personal support workers or PSWs tend to be quite conservative and moralizing right. around you know, things to do with sex. And I've heard some really awful stories about people being, you know, denied care, even if they happen to have a partner that stays the night because their PSWs don't agree with, you know, somebody having sex before marriage. So if you have that kind of power dynamic, it, it can be especially difficult for somebody to come forward and say, hey, I'm going to a sex party. Um, yeah, so, it creates but, kind of a sex-negative environment. Absolutely. Sex yes. ne- yeah. And so we, we definitely want to create that kind of a space. And then obviously people had the option of, um, you know, hooking up with each other if they wanted to. Like, yeah. uh, But it was a very no-pressure environment. And mm-hmm. everything was very, you know, consensual. We had consent monitors on had the, some security work in the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and we definitely also wanted to make it obvious, although I don't know if it was so obvious last year because of the publicity that we got, that everybody was welcome. So this wasn't just a right. party for people with disabilities. Right. You know, we really wanted it to be a fully accessible party where we had obviously an accessible venue we had a Hoyer lift if anybody wanted to come out of their chair. Nice. We had um, some PSW volunteers um, that could assist people with whatever they needed. Um, but, you know, it was obviously open and welcoming to everyone that wanted to support this kind of event and be a part of this kind of event. And did you um, have, if you, if you don't mind my asking, did you have yeah. a lot of able-bodied people come into the event? I mean, it's always difficult to say exactly who is able-bodied, right? Because it's not always necessarily obvious. Good point, right. Um, I think that there were were definitely some people there. I think I would like to see more. um, Because, you know, with a lot of disability movements, I find that there is this maybe inadvertent segregation that ends up happening the other way, where people are just kind of coming together and... I understand, like, it's important for people to feel that they have a safe space and to share their experiences with other people that have had maybe similar experiences, but I think it's also important to have that flow of communication happening between people with disabilities and people who identify as non-disabled, because that's the only way that we're going to change society and shape it more to what we envision for ourselves. Yeah, because that was one of the, not one of the main topics, but one of the first topics perhaps that Andrew and I talked about was how we can kind of begin to break down barriers between able-bodied people and disabled people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's difficult because everybody's going to have different comfort levels about what they're willing to share about themselves, what they're willing to share about their 
disability, but at a certain point, it, it also has to be okay for somebody without a disability to say, hey, you know, I really don't know anything about this, and, yeah. you know... Ask I'm, a question. I'm, yeah, ask the questions, and, and just find out whatever they can as long as they're not coming at it from obviously an, an ignorant sort of rude sure you know place, but <laughs> yeah then then it's yeah just to open the dialogue you know to I, open the dialogue it has to be okay that people don't know a lot because they really don't yeah. and that's i mean one of our biggest things is we want to have more visibility of people with disabilities, not just in society, but in the media and pop culture, because mm-hmm. we really don't see it. And even oftentimes when we do, people with disabilities are being portrayed As by victims. non-disabled people, or they're being written about by you know people without any um, interaction with mm-hmm. disability. And it's all from this very particular perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's either like, oh, woe is me kind of story, or it's you know, ri- rising above all the challenges to become this superhuman crip, <laughs> yeah. which we're, well, you know, and uh, I mean, the majority of us are just out there living our lives, yeah. trying to, trying to... Uh, yeah, the disabled experience is much different than that. Absolutely. Much, I much think, different. Yeah, most people's experiences are vastly different. So what would you like to see in media then with uh, disabled people? Yeah, I would definitely like to see more people with disabilities um, represented in the media, and I would like to see their stories and their experiences represented authentically. So whatever that means to them, you know, whether it is something that uh, is very challenging that they've gone through, or whether it is, you know, simply going about your life, or whether it is over overcoming great obstacles, whatever your experience is, um, I would like to see that authentically represented by the people who are actually living those lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a friend who was uh, kind of experimenting with becoming a playwright, and one of his, he was a, he was a gay guy, um, and one of his main things was that uh, at the time, you know, in, in shows and in the media, uh, if there's a gay person in it, then the story is about them being gay, and he really wanted it to be you know, any other type of story where the lead just happens to be a gay per, gay dude or a gay woman, you know, yeah. and, and not have it specifically revolve around the fact that they're gay. Because the reality, you know, just like you're saying about being a disabled person is much different. It's, it's you know, where it's they're living their lives. Like, let's see them do other things. And yeah, yeah. I mean, there are so many facets to living with a disability. You know, you can find you can definitely find a lot of humor in some of your experiences. Yeah. You, can, you can certainly find the opposite. You can find that frustration and, and the difficulty as well. And I think, like, for me, having um, a physical disability and using a mobility device, mm-hmm. disability does touch every area of my life, and I can't I can't divorce one from the other. Trust mm-hmm. me, I've tried. <laughs> uh, uh, it just doesn't work out so well. Uh, you know, it's not something that you can ignore, but... It certainly is an aspect of life and not the entirety of it. Certainly. So um, one of the questions that I kind of have picked up from Andrew's podcast that I love so much, the Deliciously Disabled podcast, um, he he said his favorite question to get asked, so I'm going to ask you, and that question is, what does sex and disability feel like for you? 
What the sex and disability? <laughs> fucking confusing a lot of the time. <laughs> I mean, it, it can be, uh, you know, really interesting when you're coming into something new with somebody else who doesn't have any experience with disability mm-hmm. and they expect you to be the expert. Mm-hmm. So and they're like, well, how do we do this? Or how do we do that? Or and you're like, I don't know. And it's like, well, I don't know. Like, can you bend this way? Like, I don't know. Like, it's not I've never about tried. me, right? It's, it's about the other person's <laughs> capabilities as well. Yeah. And I just find that for me personally, every new experience with um, a different person is a whole new wonderland to explore. Like right. it's not, it's not like there are these tried and tested, uh, <laughs> you know, true things that will just magically work in every situation. Right. It's a case um, by case type of thing. Absolutely. It's right. case by case. And what I try to let everyone know is that yes you know i am a sexual being and yes i can feel it and yes you know i will know if it's bad uh, <laughs> and i will also let you know if it's good yeah um you you kind of have to get past those stereotypes uh, around sex and even uh allowing people to to be aware that people with disabilities are not um, asexual, they're yeah. not all, you know, asexual, or they're not all hypersexual, yeah. and that there is just as much variety among, I think, people with disabilities in terms of sexual desire and drive as there probably is in the rest of society. The only difference being is that a lot of people with disabilities haven't had the opportunity to, like I right. said, come into themselves right. as sexual beings and to come to that point where they realize that that they they have this right to Mm. know themselves as um, a sexual being. Yes. That can be a hard place to come to, especially if you, you know, haven't had, let's say, the the ability to masturbate at all your entire life. You know, how do you go from from that to being sexual with somebody else? Right. Um, From not having one, yeah, to suddenly being immersed in, you know, potentially a sexual relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of, I think, how it happened for me is that I went through a lot of my adolescence not really, um, you know, dating very much or being seen as a potential girlfriend. And I I kind of went from absolutely nothing to Mm. a very sexual relationship with somebody 10 years older than me. Wow. So when was that? Pardon me? When was that, and how was um, that? I was about nineteen, I would say, when that when that happened. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I just remember thinking, you know, that I had skipped so many steps. Yes. Uh, and getting to this point <laughs> where you know I had barely even you know made out with a guy, and now I was in bed with a guy. Like, what's happening? Right. But uh, and that can be a big shock. So you're kind of learning about your body at that point through. Um, other people yeah and and you know you have to find a way to reclaim your own sexuality and to figure out what it is that you like and what you enjoy and what kind of a partner best suits you and that that is a very difficult thing to navigate um especially as a woman with a disability when you've got all these other things stacked against you yes so so when did you realize you kind of had a passion for sex and and sex and disability together (sighs) 
Was it around? Was it around that time? I'm kind of thinking maybe did that inspire you in some way that relationship, positive well, I've relationship? Always, I've always done a lot of writing and uh, I've majored in, in filmmaking as well. For really? My undergrad, yeah. So I'm I'm a writer and filmmaker um, by nature, and yeah. I find that a lot of the themes that I always explored were cathartic for me, or explored my relationships in some way and my experiences. Um, in dating, in sexuality, and so that was a major theme in a lot of my work. Um, and because I also double majored in psychology, I wow. did my thesis on the dating experiences of adolescent girls with physical um, disabilities, and I got to learn a lot wow. through doing that. And so uh, it was kind of a snowball effect, you know, because <laughs> this was something that always kind of interested me about the experience of disability it was a natural progression from there yeah wow what uh, type of research did you do for your thesis did you talk to a lot of people with a lot of disabled people do research online i I, I did interviews with a number of women um, with congenital physical disabilities and i asked them to sort of recollect for me or recall what their experiences were like um, as an adolescent and growing up in uh, in dating and relationships and sexuality, mm-hmm. and you know, it was it was very interesting research, and a lot of the reading was very depressing for that study <laughs> as well, because yeah, you, you come to realize how um, disadvantaged and marginalized in many ways uh, women with disabilities are, and how uh, difficult it can be to try and measure up to again if we're talking about the media to these mm-hmm. norms of like you know the able-bodied woman and what is desirable and what is attractive and also what it is that men are looking for in a relationship which oftentimes boils down to physical attractiveness mm-hmm. at least so, at first yeah. at least at first and um, there's a lot of stigma as well for men who might date, uh, let's say, an able-bodied man dating a physically disabled woman, might face a lot of um, backlash from friends, from family, you know, it's kind of this societal idea of, well, what is wrong with you if you are partnering with, you know, you're choosing to be with a woman with a disability. Right. Do you, what do you think the difference is between, say, if it was the reverse genders, would there be a difference, like, between the female experience? Yeah. Absolutely. What I found in my research is that um, it's far less difficult for men with um, obvious physical disabilities to find able-bodied female uh, companions. And I think that a lot of that has to do with, again, societal perception. Mm-hmm. You know, women have traditionally been seen as the nurturer, the caregiver, um, the more accepting, the uh, less materialistic in many ways when it comes to uh, relationships. More empathetic. Yeah. More empathetic, more, yeah. more accepting to obvious flaws and, and right. things like that. Kind of the and, caregiver role. Yeah, it is kind of that it is the, the caregiver role and um i found that women with disabilities were far more likely to face um partner abuse they were far more oh. likely to be rejected by partners even physically disabled men are far more likely to prefer to have able-bodied partners um and and don't even want to date women with disabilities so there's oh. that as well 
Where do you think that comes from? Uh, Again, I think it's this perception still um, that men are largely judged uh, based on Mm. the uh, physical appearance of their partners. And it's this whole idea of, you know, the trophy wife or, you know, oh, he was able to snag, you know, that girl. He must really be something. And it sort of raises his social status or his appeal right uh, in, in his social circles and in his professional circles right very interesting so Stella we're going to take a very quick break and then we will come right back for the Bedpost podcast and we are speaking with Stella Pelagrova. we'll be right back Thanks again for tuning in to the Bedpost podcast, everybody. I just wanted to tell you about a new and exciting book release of mine. It's called Going Down, and it's a new anthology by five tantalizing authors. It includes five steamy stories that happen within the walls of hotels. And it can be yours today in ebook format for under $5. That's like a buck an orgasm. <laughs> If you're interested in the Going Down Anthology by House of Erotica Books, please visit www.houseoferoticabooks.com and enjoy the rest of the show. Hello and welcome back. It's the Bedpost Podcast and we have Stella Palakarova. Hello. We're singing again. <laughs> Now, um, why I had to wait to interview you, Stella, because you were in Hawaii. I was. Yes, and what were you doing in the lovely Hawaii? Oh, God, I flew out to the middle of the Pacific Ocean to give a (laughs) presentation at the Pacific Rim Conference, which is the world's largest uh, disability conference at the moment. Wow. um, And to um, talk about deliciously disabled in a one-hour workshop yeah that was supposed to be about what what it is that we do and then of course um giving it my own personal perspective about women's issues yes with disabilities um and but unfortunately <laughs> oh my god as luck would have it or not have it um my wheelchair broke down the morning of my presentation and I was stuck in my hotel room for a day and a half. Uh, I couldn't even present and that's, you know, technically why I went to Hawaii. Oh my so, God. So it, that was kind of brutal and I mean, luckily is... for me, the guy who fixed it came in on his day off mm. um, the day after and, and happened to find some parts to get my wheelchair running otherwise I probably would have been trapped in my room the yeah. rest of the week yeah and it might still be there now <laughs> seriously I oh might still God. be there now talking about the real disabled experience uh, you flew all the way to Hawaii and then you were stuck in the apartment and couldn't make it you know down the street yeah. to do the conference oh my god that's just yeah, heartbreaking it- yeah, it was really disappointing. Did and, you get you to know, attend the conference at any point while it was on? Or I didn't, unfortunately. <laughs> no, it was a, just two days. And, you know, I missed the first day. I was going to come in and do my presentation, stay for the second day. But obviously, oh. it happened. Okay, so <laughs> where where else uh, do you speak at? And I'd love to hear, like, what are some topics you love to speak on? 
well, Andrew and I have, have kind of our own shtick, if yeah. you will. He, he talks a lot about um, being a gay man with a disability, and I talk a lot about my experiences as a woman with a disability and what I've learned about that uh, over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also talk more generally on disability issues, whether it's to do with you know, physical access, social access, economic barriers, um, deliciously disabled, and sort of our our hope to bring more uh, disability recognition into pop culture. Yeah. Um, and what we do from our from our brand perspective. So. Right, because yeah. that is uh, deliciously disabled's main kind of mandate, right? To get sex and disability kind of linked in the public consciousness. It's from what one I understand, of our biggest platforms. I mean, mm-hmm. we're technically we're our consulting company, mm-hmm. so we do consult on on all things related to disability. Okay, but one of our biggest platforms is sex positivity uh, for people with disabilities, and really allowing people with and without disabilities to have a frank and open discussion about what that feels like to them. Right. Yeah. So, do you have some events coming up that you're excited about? Well, I can let you know that we are planning our second uh, Deliciously Disabled play party. Very exciting. Uh, Yeah. Yes. Which will be in August. And we just finished uh, doing promo shoots for the poster for that. So we're waiting waiting to get those back. Exciting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Andrew and I are always, you know, trying to book talks around the city uh, and we're sort of talking with Come As You Are and Good For Her yes. um, to do some workshops with them. And we've done talks at Ann Johnston. We've done talks um, through, you know, York University and other sort of venues that will let us come in and talk to them about what it is that we do. We're also hoping to um, start some sort of panel or workshop for caregivers, for personal support workers that want to learn more about negotiating the needs of their clients right in a sexual context you're talking about yeah absolutely in a sexual context amazing so what would that entail uh that would probably be like a one-day workshop where we would bring um personal support workers together either that are interested in this topic or Mm -hmm. through schools that offer a curriculum for personal support workers like humber college um, right seneca and really go over, you know, what it means to be a person with a disability and to have uh, sexual needs and desires and, um, you know, romantic interests as well and, to, you know, how they can better talk to their, I kind of hate using the word client, <laughs> but the, their client about their needs and what they would need in order to you know, live more fulfilling social lives. In yeah. That sense. So say from masturbation to having somebody over, stay Absolutely. over. And, and I mean, the irony is that right now the curriculum is really backwards in that regard. There's really nothing at all in there about, about sex and disability. And most of it is focused on how the support worker can negotiate their own comfort level. Really? Con- yes. So that is something that we're trying very hard to push back against. Wow, that's very interesting. Because as you're saying, with your personal experiences, that it can be a very sex-negative environment. Yeah, the problem is that everything is taken from this very medical and clinical perspective, where even even physiotherapists are not really well-equipped 
to talk to their, you know, to talk to their patients or clients about, about what their needs are. And yeah, and to talk about positioning or, you know, uh, furniture that they could use for sex or any anything along those lines that can help give them a more fulfilling sex life. It's just really not spoken about. Are you able to talk about, uh, now that we're just kind of bringing it up, some of the types of products that are available that or that you know of uh, that can facilitate you know, like I know there are a lot of different kind of cushions and planks and stuff like this that can. Well, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the the difficulty is that disabilities vary so much. So a mm-hmm. lot depends on a person's own, you know, physical endurance, mm-hmm. the, their flexibility, their their pain levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all these sorts of things that can impact on um, a person's sex life. I can. The main thing that I can do is talk about my own experience, right. what my disability is, and what I have found to work for me in the past. Right. Uh, but whether or not it works for somebody else, well, you have to try it and let me know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me know if it's working out for you. And then we'll talk about it on the podcast next time when we Absolutely. have you back. <laughs> so Get that uh, liberator going. Is that what that... Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. that's one of the things I was I thinking have, about. I've had some success with the liberator. Okay, so what is that? Can you can you tell uh, listeners who don't know what that is? So the liberator is kind of a wedge-shaped pillow, um, a piece of furniture. It's like a foam... Uh, what can you call it? Yeah, it's a foam wedge, yeah. essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. that you can position um, under your pelvis or you can lie on top of it if you want to go into more like a doggy um, style position. It is uh, inflated, I believe. Really? I, and I say this because I remember bouncing up and down on it, having my face slapping against it. So... Uh, <laughs> I have a vague I, recollection of this. I have a vague recollection of getting some brain damage being on that thing. So, um, be careful. Use with caution. Um, but it, it can be great if you want to try out some different positions that you might not otherwise be mm-hmm. able to get into. Um, mm-hmm. There is a small size and a larger size. Um, depending on, you know, what angle you want. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, that's something that I've had a a little bit of success with in the past. So other things we're talking about, like vibrators and things for women specifically? Yeah, vibrators, that's an interesting topic for me because Mm -hmm. um, there are certain, like, vibrators that I could uh, use without too much trouble, but the problem Mm -hmm. is how do I even get myself into the position and mm-hmm. have somebody hand me mm-hmm. the vibrator in order to be able to use it. Right. Right. And this is, again, where the whole issue of the use comes. Yeah, it comes into play. And even, you know, if you have people that are potentially comfortable with uh, handing you things and mm-hmm. cleaning them off afterward and putting them away, mm-hmm. like, you know, the person themselves has to be comfortable also asking for that assistance i mean it's it's kind of like knowing you know that somebody's in the other room knowing that you're masturbating <laughs> yeah it's a, you know that, that breeds all kinds of awkwardness right so. sure <laughs> unless you're into that you have a voyeuristic title <laughs> but if you're not yeah. then you're really not probably <laughs> well, you know it can be it can be challenging because you know in my case i hire and train my own PSWs. So oh. I am, you know, they, 
they are managed by me. I'm their boss. So blending cool. your personal life with that sort of um, employee-employer relationship can be really a difficult thing to do. So what have you trained your aides to do for you in a, in a let's, let's say, masturbation, that, if you're comfortable talking you, about it? You know, I, I haven't actually done a lot uh, by way of that, uh, mm-hmm. just because, again, I personally find that I have a hard time blurring those lines to mm-hmm. a degree. Mm-hmm. But uh, definitely I've had, you know, PSWs shave me and mm-hmm. get me ready for dates and right. even, dre- you know, dress me in lingerie or, right. or stuff like that. So I, for me, it's kind of hard wrapping my head around, you know, them actually knowing that I'm doing something right. at the moment that I'm doing. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Um, so what, what type of things, uh, do you talk about with your PSWs then when it comes to sex? Like what, what's the conversation, uh, that, Um, that ideally happens between the two of you? Straight from the hiring process, you know, I make it very clear about the kind of work that I do, that I am, um, a sexual person, that I do go on dates, Mm -hmm. that I need assistance with, with various things related to my personal life. Mm -hmm. Um, I make it really clear that, you know, I, um, there's a lot of cross platform work that happens in, in, in this work. So we do a lot of work within the queer community. Mm -hmm. Uh, we do a lot of work where we interact with people that are involved in sex work mm-hmm. or adult entertainment. So, I mean, my PSWs have to be fairly liberal and open-minded to work with me from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And you, you can tell, you know, when you're interviewing <laughs> someone and they tell you that they're okay with something, but they're, you know, they're giving you this very uncomfortable... Body yeah, language. that's okay, you know, <laughs> kind of response. You, you can tell when, it, when it's genuine. Yeah, you can, you can gauge whether they're uh, actually open enough to... To help yes. ha- help a sister out <laughs> or yeah, not? Absolutely, you, you can tell, and I've been pretty lucky, you know, that I have been able to hire my own staff because I'm mm-hmm. able to actually ask people those types of questions and to make that kind of judgment call. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of people, I would say, the majority of people that are using any sort of care services don't have that that option. opportunity, right? Yeah. Right. So they have to bring it up after the fact that they're hired and that may not be a good fit. The the yeah, aid may the not time, be in it. Most of the time it's not a good fit for some reason, you know, I I have found that this type of work tends to attract a certain type of person especially if they are trained PSWs. Mm-hmm. A lot of my PSWs are not at all trained. I train them myself. They don't have any certification or licensing Mm. or the course or anything. Mm. I mean, really, anyone can be taught Mm -hmm. to do this kind of work if they're willing. And people's needs are so individual that I don't really see the purpose of, you know, having somebody go through the the licensing program where they're given this very medical and sterile um, view of disability when that's not at all what my, you know, what I want. Yeah. So how is how is dating for you as a as a deliciously disabled woman? Oh, dating's a what real is it bitch. F- is it? <laughs> dating is a real bitch, especially right now. I mean, I why is that? <laughs> I was actually I was married for a brief time. I was in a long term relationship. I did not know for that. about four years, and that ended a year and a half ago. Okay. Um, and I've been trying to 
get myself back into dating, the dating game. It's it's really difficult. Like I I never know how to approach people mm-hmm. in quote unquote real life because <laughs> people automatically I find don't see me as a sexual being or is it all like a viable you know partner, partner. in any way so it can become really daunting to um cross over into that or to even try to flirt sure in in your day-to-day and then online it, it's challenging because i have you know a dating profile and okay i try to try to meet people that way but you know if you disclose your disability in, in your profile no matter how engaging and charming you may sound um it can be really off-putting and people that you think you might connect with really well won't even bother getting back to you because of that or they'll send something back that's really condescending you know like oh I'm sure you're great but you know you'll find somebody I'm sure that can accept you and I mean it's just the range of responses that I get are all across the board Uh, and then there's also like the guys that just think that I want sex mm -hmm. which is which is funny too like maybe there are times when that's you know all that I've wanted um but just to make that assumption or to jump to that assumption yeah uh, based on the fact that you have a disability is is really off-putting for me or even just anyone. I don't. I don't even yeah. know if I can limit it just to women that are looking online. But just anyone looking online, I feel like that's the assumption for some reason. Yeah, that tends to be the assumption. Or um, for me, I, I also find that I get a lot of guys who just automatically assume that I'll go for them because I have a disability. So right. I must not be very picky or selective so right you know how how dare i turn them down oh. when they're offering me you know dinner and <laughs> a di- dinner and a, a shag on a saturday night you know <laughs> so. I, can, I can do better buddy yeah <laughs> all women everywhere can do better than you right now <laughs> uh, yeah seriously there's just no uh, effort no effort put in at all uh. <laughs> so yeah it's really tough do you go do you go out and around like as you're saying are there are there some accessible places where you can go out other than your deliciously disabled play parties some places you go to to kind of pick up and cruise and that sort of thing i mean i haven't really in the past but then i've been thinking recently where can i go to meet some hot guys yeah do i go do i go to the rom do I go to do I do I go to the Thompson like and just like cruise the bar and you know in the Thompson like I don't know what do I even I, do I, I don't know I don't know but if I if I do try some of these things I will let you know how yeah they well, out. well I'm ex- I'm equally as clueless like. <laughs> If I ever, I'm in a relationship right now, a long-term relationship, and I kind of find myself in kind of serial monogamous or monogamous relationships. So if I'm ever like single, I'm just like, just totally naive. I'm just like, what do I do? Where do I go? I I don't know. I know. It's so hard, especially with like apps like Tinder. Yeah. Dating has become like this buffet. Yes. You know, it's not even like, Oh, I like this person. They're kind of interesting. Let me get to know them. Not at it's all. Like, oh, let oh, this girl's boobs are bigger. Let me contact her. Like, yes. I, and and if somebody turns you down, it doesn't even matter because there are like 
so many pictures and they're yeah right? yeah you can swipe like 200 pictures in like two minutes <laughs> yeah just... you can swipe so much that it doesn't even matter so that makes it even more challenging i find for me yeah and where are all these people when you're like out in a social context like where are all these people <laughs> they're nowhere to be seen. where are they <laughs> Exactly. Like I, I recently joined um, Bumble. Have you heard about Bumble? No. What is that? Oh, oh. So Bumble is like the new version of Tinder okay. for feminists. <gasps> so apparently, it's like it's like Tinder, mm-hmm. but women have to make first contact. So Very you cool. can match with somebody. Like if you're both interested in each other, mm-hmm. but then if she doesn't send the first message, he can't write to you. That is so great. It's pretty cool, and let me tell you, there are some really hot guys on this app. Damn! I'm just like, where? This is where all the hot guys in Toronto have been hiding. Is you this know? the one where you can't even? I don't know if the, there's. This is another app, but there's one where men can't even sign up, like, and create an account unless they're like recommended by a woman, like they're vouched for. I'm not sure. I'm actually not sure. It sounds familiar. It might be this one or it might be a very similar other app that's very like uh, puts the woman in a lot more control as as to who messages them and who's even on there. Like, yeah, yeah, I've I've definitely noticed like it's definitely an upgrade from Tinder. No kidding. The quality of of men on this site are, are, you know, are stepping it up. But, uh, nice. but I'm, I'm having a, like, a similar kind of challenge with it. I find that, you know, I'm having a hard time actually connecting with a lot of these guys. And I cannot help but think that it has to do with my disability. Right. But I, I do think that a lot of men in Toronto that are doing well for themselves, that, mm-hmm. you know, they obviously know that they're attractive because they're getting the attention of women, um they probably in the long run are having a harder time because they're going to be so selective Mm. to the point where they're not really putting in a lot of energy to getting to get to know somebody on any real level it's all like oh very superficial and then move on yeah it doesn't Um, tinder type apps don't like breed good dating etiquette (laughs) generally really don't (laughs) <laughs> like or even just good personal like interaction at all yeah. <laughs> like no. how, how are these guys gonna be like when you actually get them on a date when they've you know they're swiping all day long <laughs> they, uh, well i read an article that was basically saying that these guys are getting dates on tinder and at the same time as they're waiting for their date to show up they're like arranging their next date yeah like just, just in case that one you know doesn't go well yeah in case they have to <laughs> ba- make an excuse and bail out of that one to go exactly uh, so where does that leave us you uh, know we're in this now environment where you do have the ability to meet so many different people and that's great and it's like everyone's I, disposable yeah. Everyone's disposable. Yeah. That's the Which is a terrible way to, like, think about other human beings. Absolutely. And everybody's got this ideal built up in their head. And if, you yeah. know, there's something that's not meeting up with your criteria that you've laid out, then you're going to pass on that. Yeah. Um, you know, you're not going to get to to know people in the same way. Yeah. Let's talk about something fun before we go. Since okay. we're, so, we're so down on dudes I, right now. I've been a downer. I'm no, so I'm being a downer on dudes right now. It's all me. All um, right. 
Can you tell me about uh, one thing I talked about with Andrew was that I have a uh, family member with CP and she's kind of like 12, 13-ish right now. And Andrew specifically suggested that I ask your advice in uh, how do we begin the talk with her just about, you know, becoming a young disabled woman? Yeah, I mean, that is an interesting question because I grew up with a very um, strong sort of female role model. I was raised by my single mom. And I didn't have, like, so one of the reasons we started Deliciously Disabled is because there aren't many role models in our society that we can look to or talk talk to about these things. And, yeah. and, of course, there's only so much that you can talk to your mom about. But yeah. I at least had the benefit of, you know, being raised in a way where I was never told that I couldn't do something or I was never fed this sort of assumption that, I wasn't going to date, that I wasn't going to, you know, find somebody, right. that I wasn't, you know, I think my mom was very much a realist, and that <laughs> could have something to do with the fact that we escaped communist Bulgaria and immigrated here in 1983. Oh, wow. Um, so, I mean, my mom basically just always let me know that it was going to be harder for me, probably, yeah. um, to, to find somebody, but that I had all these great qualities and that somebody would see them and that I, you know, shouldn't ever put myself down or compromise myself or, you know, settle for less than what I deserve based on my disability. And that really stuck with me. And even though I've had a lot of hard times in dating, I think that it's also that mentality that's let me get to know myself. That's let me Mm -hmm. do work like this. Mm -hmm. Um, and to be really forthright about my disability, how it impacts me both in the negative and the positive ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I think it's important to be realistically optimistic. Yeah. If that is. That's a thing, yeah. You know? Hashtag realistically optimistic. Absolutely. <laughs> and just to let her know, too, that now, you know, things are changing and there are people that she could talk to now where there may not have been, you know, mm-hmm. back when I was, was growing up and that, you know, there are communities that she can tap into and talk to, talk to other people and what their experiences have been like, especially women with with disabilities and that we're here for her and that, mm-hmm. you know, Com- yeah, organize support organizations like deliciously disabled organizations like us. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Can you tell us before we go where we can find you all, all of your contact info, your phone number? No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> yes. My dress. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, our website is, uh, deliciously mm-hmm. And you can also find us on Facebook. If you Google for deliciously or search for deliciously disabled. And I am on Twitter under Deliciously Glam, because I am going to be starting up uh, a separate project to do with fashion and makeup for women with uh, disabilities, so yes. that's forthcoming. Awesome. And um, Andrew is on Deliciously Drew on Twitter. Amazing, and we're going to be looking out for your second play party, which is coming in August. Yes, look out for that and for all of our talks and other things that we'll be doing throughout the year amazing well this has been stella palakarova thank you so much stella
Thank you for having me. This has been so great. And this has been the Bedpost Podcast, everybody. I'm Erin Pym. And to find out more about the Bedpost stage show, please go to facebook.com slash bedposterotica. I have a personal blog with over 100 erotic short stories. That's at erinserotica.com. And lastly, the Bedpost Podcast features original music by Steph Copeland who can be reached at her website, stephcopelandmusic.com. <laughs>